Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to City on a Hill. My name's Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's good to be with you in 2023. We made it. Congrats on making it another year. Hopefully you can look back and, and kind of like we were doing thus far this morning, rejoice in what you've seen God do and work and how you've seen him move. Instead of starting the year on a happy note, I decided to go on a uh, maybe the totally opposite direction, or, or maybe ironically, decided to talk about uh, lament this morning. So hear me out before we you say, oh, uh, Happy New Year. <laughs> Dave said, so we do this and have done this the last couple of years, is use New Year's uh, Sunday as kind of a transition Sunday um, of, a, of a kind of one-off standalone message, and we'll start our next kind of series uh, next week. And Dave said I could preach on anything I wanted, uh, as long as, of course, it's, it's exegetical and things like that. And then I told Dave what I wanted to preach on. He said, maybe I should have given you some more guidelines. <laughs> so we'll see if he says the same thing next year. But uh, for what it's worth, this is what we're going with. Uh, but hear me out. So as I was uh, thinking about what to uh, teach on, in some ways it's a little harder if it's so open-ended. Like you can preach on anything in this whole book. Uh, go. I was like, oh, okay. Well, there's a lot of things I'd like to talk about. But just as I was thinking about it, um, for me, kind of personally, and they say uh, in, in kind of preaching class, before you preach, you, you should let the word kind of uh, impact your heart first. Like it should minister to you first, and then you're kind of the, out of the overflow of that, you are, are sh- kind of sharing that with the congregation, uh, which, is, which is my heart and what I, I like to do. And, and just as I was thinking about 2022, um, everything I've heard, read, uh, all these ideas I've been taught, the thing that's really impacted me the most, probably. Uh, maybe even more than anything since I graduated seminary in 2019, was a particular book on lament. So no matter how often I was like, yeah, lament's not really like a New Year's kind of sermon, I kept coming back to this thing of lament and just how much it had helped me. I'd also say that uh, I talked to a lot of people, that's kind of part of, part of my work, Talked to a lot of people going through different things, and I've recommended a lot of book and, books and a lot of different resources this past year, but I would say the one that I've recommended the most was that same book. And on top of that, roughly one-third of the psalms are, can be categorized as lament psalms. And yet if I asked just a random person here this morning, how do you lament well, I would guess your response would be something like, I'm not sure. Or maybe we would fumble at the answer. So when I had the opportunity to talk about anything as a kind of standalone message, I just couldn't pass it up. So we're going to trust that the Lord is going to work and use it, and that it will be helpful for you, just like it's been helpful for me and been helpful for so many others I've talked to. So after all that kind of build up, here's the, the book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercies by Mark Vrogop. You'll be forgiven if you don't know how to spell Vrogop. It's V-R-O-E-G-O-P. You won't be forgiven if you can't spell Mark. No, that, that's a joke. 
<clears throat> Many of us have heard of, we'll, uh, we'll leave the book up here for a little bit so you can uh, have a chance to write it down if you want. Um, Many of us have heard of the story of uh, Joni Erickson Tata. Um, she wrote the introduction to this book. Uh, and I'm not going to read you the whole introduction or anything like that, but I want to share just a little sliver of it because I think it introduces our topic well and kind of as a good, succinct version of her story. She certainly had plenty to lament. But I bring it up because I think it shows the power of lament how she used lament to bring herself from a place of deep depression to even trusting and thriving in her relationship with God. And kind of the implicit takeaway from the story is, uh, if she can do it, it can do the same thing for us. So here we go. When a broken neck ambushed my life and left me a quadriplegic, I felt as though God had smashed me underfoot like a cigarette. At night, I would thrash my head on the pillow, hoping to break my neck at a higher level and thereby end my misery. After I left the hospital, I refused to get out of bed, and I told my sister, just close the drapes, turn out the lights, and shut the door. My paralysis was permanent, and inside, I died. You don't have to be in a wheelchair to identify. You already know that sad situations sometimes don't get better. Problems don't always get solved. Conflicts don't get fixed. Children die, couples divorce, and untimely deaths rock our world and shake our faith. We smile and say we are trusting God, but deep down we know it's a lie. We're only trusting that he doesn't load us up with more plates. That's how I felt. But after weeks in bed, I got tired of being depressed, and I finally cried out, God, if I can't die, please show me how to live. I sought the help of a Christian counselor friend who took me directly to the book of Lamentations. He showed me the third chapter. I marveled, thinking, that's me. I was amazed to learn that God welcomes our laments. I would eventually learn, mainly through Lamentations and Psalms, that nothing is more freeing than knowing God understands. And more astoundingly, he invites us to come and air our grievances before him. God wants us to air our grievances before him. Just like David, just in Psalm 142, verse 2, just like Joni did, says this, I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. So the question is not, does God want to hear our complaints? Does God care? Because we know he does. The question is, when I bring my complaint before him, how do we do that? How do I bring my complaint before God in a way that pleases him and helps me? So this morning's message is entitled Lament 101. It's kind of our intro course together on lament. And my goal this morning is to add a tool to your tool belt in our walk with the Lord, that when sufferings and trials come, and they will come, there will be a tool there for you that you can use. And we're going to be using Psalm 10 this morning, a lament psalm, as our model of how to lament. And the kind of outline for this morning is going to be four 
uh, key elements of biblical lament that most lament psalms have in one form or another. And these uh, aren't original to me, so if you think, wow, like Jeff, Jeff seems especially smart today, uh, that's because uh, they're, they're from the book and kind of well-known elements of lament psalms. So there you go. So the first one is an address to God. The second is a complaint. The third is a request. And the fourth is an expression of trust and or praise. So let's ask God to help us this morning learn about this particular tool of biblical lament. Father, thank you. Thank you for bringing us here this morning. Thank you for uh, the past year and how you've brought us through it. For many of us, I'm sure there were a lot of um, powerful and good things from this last year. I'm sure there are many of us, though, that there were some not-so-good things, and there were some hard things, and there were some trials, or there will be some trials and hard things in the coming year. And I just pray that you would give us some fresh insight this morning of what to do with those hard things, those things we grieve, those things that are lost and can't be recovered. Equip us to endure whatever you have for us in this life in a way that brings you glory, in a way that we don't just um, go through, but we actually um, turn and grow from it. Help us now just to get our attention on you and your word and the focus off of ourselves and everything else going on, and just to be present here with you, ready to listen. In the name of your Son, amen. So again, if you aren't already there, we're going to be in Psalm 10 this morning, and we're going to kind of take it in chunks, kind of hear a chunk and see that key element in that chunk and then talk about it. So we'll start with just verse 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? That's our first key element. It's the address to God. The first key element is the address to God. How a lot of lament psalms start. It's the address to God. The psalmist is crying out to the Lord. He's seeking the Lord. And that's how he opens and kind of sets the stage, sets the tone for his lament. He feels like God is far off. It feels like God is hiding himself. This uh, addressing, coming to God, this focus is a crucial element for lamenting well. Not just sharing our struggles, but with kind of a bent, a heart toward, a purpose of seeking the Lord. You see, lament is inherently a God-centered activity. That's also, one of the ways we kind of tell the difference between a true kind of biblical lament complaining and kind of the, the complaining that I often do and the complaining that uh, we often collectively kind of do, right? So when you, you kind of find yourself airing your grievances, you can ask yourself, is this primarily a, a me-centered thing or is this primarily a, a God-centered thing? My wife, Michelle, and I have a one-year-old named Charity, and she's very cute in my unbiased opinion. But you can see how she uses uh, complaining or whining, not because she feels like she needs to get her heart right with God and get her on that track, 
but obviously to just get whatever she wants, right? So mom, she wants to be picked up. Mom and dad say no at that moment. And so her response is, I think she's going to whine. And that is her kind of best attempt to manipulate us into doing what she wants, right? Now, we're, we're a little more mature than a one-year-old, right? <laughs> yeah, no. Because, I mean, we don't, uh, maybe we don't do it in the same way where we just kind of throw ourselves on the floor and, and, and throw a tantrum. We just have our own kind of ways of, uh, maybe I'll throw myself a, a pity party, or, or maybe I'll just kind of complain, or, and things like that, and, and, and try to uh, get people to do what I want that way, or maybe uh, we know someone who can really turn on the tears to try to uh, make people have compassion of them, or even just to be in the center of the spotlight. Biblical lament isn't any of those things. So you can ask yourself, what am I after? What am I wanting? Am I wanting to connect to God? Am I wanting to refocus on God or something else entirely? Feeling better or getting to a better spot, that's a good goal, but it can't be the ultimate goal. It can't be I'm going to use God to get me something, namely to feel really good about whatever this is. That's why the author, Mark Vrogrop, defined lament as a prayer in pain that leads to trust. So when I'm talking about lament, you can simply think about it as a prayer in pain that leads to trust. And it can only lead to trust, however, if it leads to God generally. So in other words, if this element is missing, if there's no kind of focusing on God, we end up focusing about ourselves or our circumstances and instead, that just makes us more tempted to lean on our own strength, our own reasoning, our own standing, our own power to change. And implicit in this key element is an encouragement for us to keep praying to God no matter what. I don't know about you. I think it kind of depends on the person. Sometimes uh, suffering, trials, hardship can, can kind of lead us and encourage us to pray because things are really hard. God and now more than ever, it's obvious I need your help. Um, sometimes when things are really good, it feels like, well, I'm, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I don't really need God in these moments. Not that we would ever say this. But there are also times, and I'm sure we've all felt this at one point or another. I certainly do on some days. It's just a day where you, you don't feel like doing anything at all, especially not the hard work of, I'm going to take all this hard stuff and kind of like talk to God about it. It's especially in those moments that we need to pray. And to lament means to never give up. To go to God, pray, even during those times where you just don't feel like it. Do you remember the parable of the persistent widow? Uh, Dave talked about it, I'm going to call it somewhat recently in one of his sermons, so we won't go through the whole thing. But I'll just introduce the first verse from Luke 18 and how Luke kind of intros it. And he, this is Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Jesus told that parable so that the disciples and the followers of Jesus after them wouldn't lose heart, especially not in praying. Don't lose heart. Do that hard work of going to God in your pain, even when you don't feel like it, in your trials, and that will lead you to trust. 
Address your pain to God. The psalmist goes on in verse 2. In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. And all his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. And he says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. And we can all see kind of what he's doing in that big, long passage, right? He's giving a complaint. That's our, our second key element. He's giving a complaint. The psalmist goes on almost this tirade about the wicked and their their wicked thoughts, and they ignore God, and yet they seem to be prospering, and they're taking advantage of, of the innocent and the poor and all these different people. And it can all be kind of summed up in verse 2, in the, in the arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. He's taking advantage of the poor for personal gain, and the psalmist is not happy about that. And rightly so, right? We shouldn't be happy about injustice. That's one of the hard things about this life. But you might think, that was one of the things I was wrestling with, was complaining doesn't sound very biblical. Like when I think about complaining, like that seems like a, a negative thing. And maybe it is easier to think about it as telling God our frustrations or, or laying out the specifics of our pain. That's really what's happening here. The psalmist is laying out the specifics in verses 3 through 10 of his pain. Look back at verses 3 and 4. He's recalling the wicked actions of the proud, that pain. Verse 5, there seems to be no justice. His ways, the wicked person's ways, prosper at all times. Verse 10, the helpless are crushed and the vulnerable people are hurt and taken advantage of. These are things the psalmist has no power over. He can't make everything right. He can't protect all of the poor. He can't change this person's heart, how they think about God. I'm sure we can all relate. All have things in our life like this at one point or another that we wish we could change but have no power over. That's certainly one good occasion to lament the trial we don't have power over. Sometimes we uh, just lament trials and hard circumstances in general or loss and grief. Sometimes it can be doubt. Sometimes it's our own sin and maybe the, the consequences of our own sin. But we'll see in the next section, he's going to turn that complaint into an opportunity to re redirect his heart. In the specifics of his, his angst, so notice that he doesn't just say, hey, things are tough right now, God. 
we need your help, even though that's a fine prayer, so don't hear me knock that. But he doesn't just say that kind of generally. He uses the specifics to actually sharpen his prayer. And those specifics push him toward God and not away. I would also say, I think Psalm 10 is a little tame. And after reading that section, you've kind of been like, oh, that's, that's a little tame. Because I think the things he was complaining about, at least outwardly, circumstantially, are all true. Like There probably was this wicked person who was doing all these things, and there really was this injustice to the poor. Um, but that's not always the case. A couple years ago, if you remember, I didn't, so I had to look it up. But a couple years ago, Dave preached on Psalm 77. It's another lament psalm. And I just wanted to look at a little excerpt from verses 3 through 9 that illustrates kind of what I'm talking about. That the things that we're lamenting maybe won't be obviously true or won't be true at all, but will simply feel true. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? And if you're like me, this is the part of lament that makes you a little uncomfortable, right? Because it's not true. Like, none of those things that he just said were true. Verse 3, when I remember God, I moan. Like, that's not how we should think about God. Verse 4, you hold my eyelids open that I can't sleep. Verse 7, the Lord is spurning me. Verse 8, his steadfast love is gone. His promise is not kept. Verse 9, he is no longer compassionate and gracious. And maybe you feel totally fine with it. But to me, there's a little a little conflict, a little inner turmoil about those things because it's not true. It's like, that's, God is love. He doesn't tempt. He's compassionate. He's kind. I shouldn't moan when I think about God. He doesn't spurn. He keeps his promises. He's compassionate and gracious. So why is this a necessary part of lament? Because in the midst of our pain and trials and suffering, Whatever 2023 brings, and I, I hope it's good things for you. Because in the midst of those hard things, it feels true, doesn't it? All those things feel true. It feels like God isn't loving or compassionate. And if I uh, asked you kind of academically while you were suffering, you could probably still tell me, I know uh, the Lord is compassionate and loving, but it doesn't feel like that. And I think that's where the psalmist is at, too, as he's writing this psalm. And I think we'll see it a little more in, in the turn or in the next kind of key elements. But he's basically saying, God, I know you are not blank, but it feels like you are today. And we can do that, too, in our prayers. We can say, God, I know you are not blank, but it feels like you are today. And as we do that, it leads us to two things. One, it helps us express accurately how we are feeling to God. But second, it also leads us to remember who God truly is. 
And when you think about the uh, kind of alternatives, either just keeping it all to yourself or just complaining to God, none of those seem like uh, better options. Or, or what happens if we just express how we feel without that turn to truth? Or don't express and just hold it in. And when we just leave it in the heart and it never goes to our head, all of a sudden what we feel starts to become true. So suddenly what we feel to become true starts to become what we believe is true. You've probably seen this in, in human relationships, how uh, someone's uh, good qualities can, even though the quality themselves haven't changed, uh, turn just kind of based on our experiences and, um, and different things with them, uh, turn into bad qualities. And it, the same thing can happen with God if we just let our feelings lead, right? God's uh, sovereignty and his power can become unaccountable freelancing. His grace can be Come injustice, his loving discipline can just simply be meanness. And when we start to believe that God isn't compassionate and loving and he's, he's mean and selfish and all these other things, why would I worship someone like that, right? That God is just like me. Instead, we say, God, I know you are not blank, but it feels like you are today. And we acknowledge what we're feeling isn't true, and we're reminded of what is, and it helps. It may not uh, make you feel better right away. It may not make you feel better soon, but it helps. And I want to end this element with a few practical tips, just of if we're going to use kind of this word complain, how do we complain well, or how do we take these things before God well? And so first, be humble. Come asking those pain-filled questions, but not demanding like you're owed something from God. We didn't have time uh, this morning, but I thought about going to Job. Because when I think about Job, where did Job go wrong? I don't think it was in his lamenting all the horrible things that happened to him. I think it was when he uh, was demanding from God a trial, and even saying, if there was someone to take God to trial, like, I would win. Like, God owes me something. Be humble. Be honest. The psalmist doesn't pull any punches, and neither should you. God is big enough for your uh, trials, your struggles. Plus, he already knows anyway, right? The only person you're fooling is yourself if you're not honest. And this is for you remember. Practically, to kind of get you started, you might try praying a lament psalm over kind of your situation. Maybe Psalm 10, maybe Psalm 77 gets you started in the right direction. And the final kind of tip I would say for the complaint is don't forget the other parts, right? It's super easy to complain and not move on to asking God for help or uh, turning to trust and praise in God. And as I uh, say that, um, one of the things I was thinking about was um, there is one lament psalm, Psalm 88, that there is no turn. He just addresses God and complains, and then it's over. And um, that's going to be one of kind of the questions our small groups discuss 
this week of what do we do with Psalm 88. I'll just give my kind of two cents right now. I don't think it's the example of the ideal we should strive after. I think the psalmist was just at a place where that was the best he could do, right? That's, that was the best he could muster and say, God, I know you're not, but it feels like you are today. But since we are striving after the ideal, let's see how the psalmist does it in Psalm 10, picking back up in verse 12. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you know mischief and vexation, that you may take it in your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. And here, mixed in with some expressions of trust, we get our third element of biblical lament, the request. The request. There's actually two requests in this section. The first, verse 12, Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Is a request for God to act. You have to remember this is a poetry. It's figurative language to say, God, act on behalf of those afflicted by injustice and mistreated by these evil people. And verse 15 is a call for justice. Not literally to break these people's arms or this person's arm, but to prevent his wickedness from continuing. In, in Old Testament Hebrew, especially poetry, but even in some of the narratives, um, um, arm is associated with power. So when God is saying, or, or when the psalmist is, is asking God to break the arm of, of this wicked person, he's asking him to break the power of the wicked. And this is that turn in the lament we were talking about. We feel powerless. We've poured out everything in our hearts, and now we're turning to God and asking him, calling on him to act. And it might be like Psalm 10, a call to, to right wrongs, a call for justice, a call for help. Sometimes it might be as simple as, give me strength, change my heart, give me grace for this thing. But there's another reason to pray boldly besides God can answer those big, bold prayers, which is a, a good reminder for us. But we pray boldly because it moves us from, in our hearts, why is this happening to me, to who is God? Why is this happening to me, to what is God doing in this situation? How is God working, and we zoom out from ourselves and our suffering, and we see the big picture, our big God, and what he can do. And suddenly the situation might not feel so hopeless. And suddenly we, in the midst of our pain, are drawing near to God. We mentioned over and over, our goal in life is to glorify God or to please God, and I'm always saying it when I have an opportunity to preach what better way to glorify God in, in our trials, in our suffering, than asking him to act? Acknowledging his power and his sovereignty and saying, God, I can't do anything about this, but you can. God, you are the only one 
who can work and move in this situation. And that leads the psalmist to trust and acknowledge who God is. We've already seen in verse 14, we'll see it more as we close out Psalm 10 here. Verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. It's at the end of laments that we typically see this fourth element. It's an expression of trust and or or praise. This expression of trust and or praise. Ultimately, the psalmist doesn't just stay in his complaints or his requests to God, but he moves to, tr- to trust and to praise. And if I had to guess, I'd say that this step is probably the hardest for most of us. It's the moment of, of not feeling like praying and not feeling like God who is who he is that we have to choose to trust. In other words, we can't really call it biblical lament or a full-fledged biblical lament and skip this last part. To lament is to choose to trust, even when you don't feel like it, and even when, circumstantially, whatever brought you to this place, nothing has changed. The psalmist chooses to trust as they rehearse something true they know about God, and we can trust and praise in the same way. Look, look back at verse 14. God is keeping track of the deeds of the wicked. And you have been in the past, the helper of the fatherless. He's remembering past deeds of God. Verse 16, he remembers a characteristic of God. He is king and forever and ever. We mentioned that in our Song of Joy week during our Advent series. Verse 17, you will help the afflicted. He's remembering promise of God. Verse 18, you will bring justice It's the God I know you are, part of the God I know you are not, but it feels like you are today. God, I know you care, but it doesn't feel like you do today. God, I know you are good, but it doesn't feel like you are today. God, I know your plans and your commands and your word is good for me, but it doesn't feel like it is today. If I could assign you homework, which I know I can't. It's like the last day of winter break for, for kids. If I could assign you homework, it would be this. Try a lament. Whether you just pray it or you write it out, try a lament. Maybe you have lots of things to lament. Start, start with one thing. Start there. Start small. Maybe you can't think of anything right now. Life is going well. Praise God. Um, I almost hope it is. It's much easier to prepare yourself or or to get teaching on something like this um, before you're in the midst of suffering. It's really hard once you're in the midst of it. But try and lament. I think you'll be surprised how helpful it is. Like um, I said at the beginning, lament is it's a grace, it's a tool, and just like every other tool, it won't do you any good if you don't. Use it. So if you uh, listen to my sermon, you say, oh, that's nice. Yeah, the four elements of biblical lament. Yeah, that'll be good. And never do anything with it, then it won't help you. That's kind of where I am 
out with it. I'm, I'm definitely not into poetry or touchy-feely or anything like that. Um, so I haven't like written anything out, but I've, I've prayed through a lament, and maybe that's where you need to start too, of just like, yeah, I'm not sure I'm going like, to write something anytime soon, but uh, even can just pray in this way and with these elements. I want to wrap up our time together with the why. And we've kind of had the why sprinkled in there implicitly. If your goal is to please God or glorify God, all those things will be meaningful to you as a a way to do that. But if that isn't enough, I think we're commanded to in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in help in time of need. And I think that sums it up nicely. As we talk about lament, what we're really talking about is here's a good way to draw near the throne of grace with confidence, even when we are not really feeling it. A way to receive grace and mercy in our time of need. And what's our confidence that we can do that? Well, it's verse 15 from our Hebrews passage. We have a great high priest, Jesus Christ, who we just celebrated Christmas, came down as a baby so that he could sympathize with us in our weaknesses. And he has been tempted uh, in every way that we have, but without sin. And we have an, an advocate in him. He stands in the gap between where we are and where we want to be. Because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us, we can have hope And we can go to God with our disappointments and our trials and with our suffering. And we can know that one day he's coming back to make all things right. But certain uh, part of this hope and that joy of a future with him is only available to those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. So I invite you to that today. But I want to end and kind of close with this. Is I don't know what 2023 will bring. I'm sure it'll be a mix for probably all of us. It'll be some really good uh, highs, some really blessing, blessings, really good moments, maybe some lower moments, maybe some valley, maybe some desert moments. Uh, I pray that it is a good I know the the Lord is sovereign over your 2023, Uh, but I pray also that um, when you do hit those valleys, when there are disappointments, that you'll have a lament to go to God and go to God well in a way that glorifies him, in a way that's helpful for you, in a way that ultimately brings you back to him. Let's pray to that end this morning. Father, thank you. Um, that you want us to come to you in our suffering and our trials and um, just everything going on in our life, good or bad. We confess that oftentimes we 
respond to hard things, to trials with complaining without actually kind of turning to you. Or maybe we complain to others without um, taking those things to you. Help us this next year, whatever uh, good or bad may bring, whatever hard or easy circumstances that uh, we would draw near to you. Thank you for sending Jesus uh, to die for us, that we might be able to enjoy the good and have hope through the bad and justification when we fall short. To you be the glory forever. Amen.